Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler. Today, Ben Bateman is on Skype. Say hi, Ben. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm calling in from Seattle. Very fun. Uh, is it raining up there? Cold? It's Unlike cold our beautiful sunny California? It's cold and it's it's murky and it's wonderful. So today we have Chaz Andres of Star City Games fame. Hello. And uh, Magic Finance writer. Good to be here. Uh, how long have you been kind of doing that for Star City Games and all that kind of well, I just writing I actually just passed a milestone uh, earlier this month, my 150th article with Star City. And wow. I had probably ugh, 70 or 80 with Channel Fireball before that. And then I had 10 or 15 with Quiet Speculation and my own blog. So uh, I'm, I've been doing it since 2009. Wow. I, I feel I, lazy. I remember, <laughs> I remember reading when you uh, first got the Star City gig, actually. I think I read your, your first, like, uh, at least like your first half dozen, I remember. And you made reference at the beginning that uh, it was like a new thing you're really excited about. And then periodically I've checked in over the years. So it's cool to be finally, uh, you know, well, I don't actually get to meet you. Alex gets to meet you, but <laughs> I talk to you. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely your column on Star City Games is probably one of the few that I actually make a point to read on a, a weekly basis. And, I mean, I catch everything else, but I pay for premium, so I get to read Hooray! them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so I know all of the magic secrets that I can then tell you guys out there on the internet. It's a fun column to write. It's uh, I'm always surprised that I would think that with Magic Finance, I would have trouble finding an article topic every week, but it's actually more like that I have 10 or 15 in the backlog that I'm just like, oh, I want to write about this, and I want to write about that. And right. finding time to get everything done, that's the problem. Well, and, and you, I mean, you definitely make use of the whole, and Mark Rosewater does this on his podcast also, of like, you have a few, like, cycles, I want to say, of, yes. like, articles <laughs> that you're going through. Like, you just, uh, I think this week you released a... You're going through every single set that's legal and modern, yep. I think. And yeah, the mo the starting with I started with Mirrodin last summer, and I I just did Ravnica City of Guilds. Right. Um. So yeah, and and to be totally honest, I'm actually stealing that cycle, and that's we've fine. we've so far done Eighth and Ninth Edition, which was a very interesting, and all of you listeners know uh, a set that <laughs> well, seems misplaced from time. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I I skipped the core sets. I may have to go back at the end and do them. Yeah. Well, there's just. There are some interesting cards in that set. <laughs> um, so, you know, before we get into all of the nitty-gritty stuff, uh, I want to remind all you guys out there on the internet to uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at the MMCast. If you are listening to us right now and want to tweet at us, we will tweet you back live-ish. I mean, we'll, we'll be doing our daily lives, but we'll tweet back while you're listening, and you get to kind of interact while you're listening to us talk now, but in the future. We love to tweet you guys it's it's like it makes really makes my day if i can tweet someone back so you know get on board <laughs> um and lastly you know we don't always ask for this but uh we've realized that itunes is important and please go subscribe there and rate us on itunes uh there is a link on the rocket jump site where i think most of the people find us so check it out tell us how terrible we are or great we are we're really we just want attention we don't care how good or bad it is um all right so before that's pretty much true yeah. Uh, before we jump in, we you know we're gonna start doing this thing with guests where we're gonna put them through a lightning round of questions. Some of them magic related, some of them not magic related. You should uh, call it the lightning bolt round. The lightning bolt round. Ooh, I'm gonna steal that from you. We're, Please do. It's stolen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, ready, set, All favorite right. set. What favorite set? Yep. Ravnica City Guilds. All right. Batman versus Superman. Who wins? Batman. He's got the kryptonite. But 
Oh yeah, sorry, I read the wrong. Batman versus Spider Man, who wins? Oh, <laughs> ooh, uh, still Batman. I think Spider Man goes down quipping, and Batman. Uh, I just can't root against Batman ever. Fair, fair enough. Uh, favorite Ooh, movie? Almost famous. Almost famous. Uh, favorite color or color combination? Blue green Simic. Okay. Uh, ice cream or frozen yogurt? Ice cream. Favorite card? <laughs> <laughs> Lorthos, the tide maker. Ooh. Would oh, you? Wow, that's a good one. Would you fight a horse-sized duck or a duck-sized horse? I've thought about this. Um, I would choose the duck-sized horses. Okay. Uh, best card spec? Right now. Right now? Yeah. Or, Ooh. or Friday, I guess. <laughs> when this comes out. <laughs> um, can I come back to that one? I want to actually give a real answer for that. I don't want to just throw something out. Well, uh, okay, so next one. The best card spec you've done. You're, ever. Yeah, ever. Um, the best card spec I've ever done, uh, probably Disrupting Shoal. I think I got in about 200 of those at 50 cents and out of them at 8 bucks. So that, okay. was, uh, that was a good one. Uh, and then worst card spec. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, me and Kibler ran that Daybreak Ranger train oh, into the yeah. ground. Uh, that was probably my worst. I think I still have about 100 of those somewhere. And then last but not least, dragons or cons? Cons. Cons. All right. So that's the end of the lightning round. Hopefully that warmed everyone up. Um, so let's get started. So today we're actually just going to be doing our first intro to finance episode. Um, for some people out there that follow the, our cast, uh, you know that I've done some finance videos in the past, and obviously Chaz is infinitely infamous with his finance knowledge. So we're going to kind of break down modern's finance market for the first time, kind of how to step into it and see what you guys want to hear about. It's definitely the most interesting format when it comes to finance, I think. Right. Well, I mean, super volatile along with kind of semi-cyclical, which is a good place to be. Um, and we're also really expensive, like overall, like it's uh, and all of the things that they've sort of tried to do to change that haven't really worked all that well. It's still like pretty outrageous if you want to just buy into a good deck. Well, I mean, when they print lands, they tank. And then yep. when they print Modern Masters, it raises the price. It depends if you want if you want a modern deck tomorrow, it's not easy. If you want a modern deck in six months, there's lots of ways right. to do. <laughs> um, I mean, look, the best thing they could possibly like the thing they could do to possibly like change the port was they they reprinted old fetch lands, and that's going to work for maybe a couple years. But then, like, we're probably going to find ourselves in a similar position where the you know the, the you supply is outstripped by the demand, and it just I, mean, I don't know it just seems difficult. Like when cards like Tarmogoyf are expensive as they are, there's been a lot of time to fix that. Hey, who they knows? Been able to fix that. We're returning to Zendikar in six months. We uh, might be getting those fetch lands at a much much bigger discount. Well, when you talk about prices with with cards in sets from the past two years, you have to look at the fact that the player base isn't growing the way it was. The player base was doubling every year for right. Zendikar on. I mean, the Shocklands and Ravnica, they're very important. They haven't gone up at all. This is the this is the time when they would start to go up, and I haven't seen a lot of movement. So I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, the Cons Fetchlands stay fairly close to where they're at for the next few years. We we may be uh, in a, in into a modern format where the chokehold are older mythics that the modern masters still isn't quite um, bringing the price down for, but everything else I I, I feel like is going to be coming down. So uh, the first one I, I want to talk about is kind of how ban like the way that bans and unbans kind of affect the format. Well, uh, modern started with the craziest speculation cycle that I have ever seen. When the format was this. spoiled, <laughs> every card that could potentially be in a modern deck suddenly went bananas. 
we had, you know, $90 Shocklands. We had, you know, $80 Vesuvas. It was just, you know, Tarmogoyf tripled. It was just crazy nuts land until the banding started. And then I think things finally started to settle down. But for a while there, people, you know, a- any deck would have cost you tons of money just for the mana alone. Right. And, and any any particular cards right around then that you just sort of look back on and just crack up that just like went from a dollar to 20 and just nothing ever happened with? <laughs> I mean, well, some of it was banning related, right? It, you know, 12 Post came along and 12 Post was the most ridiculous right, right, right. deck anyone ever saw. And then it lasted about a month and a half, and then Wizards realized, well, that that can't happen. I mean, I, I remember back then, you know, this was sort of before TCG Player was a, a, a really good way to out cards. Uh, I think they were only open to stores. So I remember I, I was writing for Channel Fireball at the time. I, I pulled every Shockland I had from all of my binders and decks, uh, put them in a box, drove up the coast to uh, San Jose, and walked into the Channel Fireball store and just traded them in at buy. Because they were paying me forty, fifty, sixty dollars right. a land, even for played ones, and I, I just knew there was no way that was going to last. Right. Well, I mean, and and what's That's interesting crazy. about the way modern was created, they literally, as like the statement that defines the format, is this is the line we're cutting off so that we can reprint things, so that the problem with legacy is we're stuck. We we can't yep. fix this problem that if this becomes too popular, we're going to have $700 land, man, it's like just for a single land for the 30 lands you need for your deck. That's unsustainable. So we've cut this line in the sand from here on out. Now, if there's a card that becomes too expensive, we will reprint it to yep. levy that. Data. I really think that the, the, the modern was born out of wizards realizing they weren't going to get rid of the reserve list because during that whole time everyone was lobbying for them to get rid of the reserve list myself included people writing articles right. about it everyone's like it's time like legacy is going to you know it's going to go the way of vintage if we don't do this and right around the same time they announced doubling down on the reserve list and modern as the way to say this is going to be the eternal format we're supporting yeah and, and i mean I think it was kind of a two-punch. I think that was one of the defining moments. And the other one was they tried something with Extended where they realized that Standard rotated into Oblivion, and they needed a way to make it so the cards you were investing in Standard, at least the most powerful ones, or like a select few, when it rotated, had some value That's in it. That's a great point, yeah. Uh, so like Modern is kind of this perfect storm where it allows people to kind of keep their investments from Standard to some extent or give value to Standard. Like if what you said, Shockland before Modern were, was announced were like $5 a pop because they rotated out of Extended or Extended stopped including them. They're not Legacy playable because Legacy has good lands. And so they're just yeah. kind of in this no man's land of like, these are powerful, but there's no reason for anyone to really hold on to them. Yeah. People often ask why Wizards would even care about the secondary market because they're in the market of selling packs. But really, it's a lot easier to justify going out and buying packs, buying a box, drafting every week, buying constructed decks if your cards hold value because you can say well no this isn't just something that i'm going to be doing for the next few months of my life this is something you know it's something i can keep for years i right. can play i can play these cards forever and that is huge to their bottom line well and and in the early days of magic that kind of held true like if for the first 10 years of magic all of those are like generally there are good legacy playable cards there but you start running to this issue of once you hit 25 years of Magic the Gathering, you're running into a barrier where there's just going to be a lot of cards that don't fit into either the most powered formats that you also have these reprint problems with. And they're also not in the two-year standard, which is your only like your major popular format. So what do you do with that? And through the eyes of Gavin Verhey, they invented Modern. Yeah, because <laughs> Extended, no one, no one really liked 
Yeah, because I mean, extended had the same problems of standard of like a weird rotating situation. So you didn't get the coolness of Legacy, where I get to get good at something. I get to yeah. invest in twenty, you know, thirty-five lands or Life from the Loam or Charbelter and just get good at it and like stick my feet in the sand and be good here. And then you know, extended just let it rotate out of there. So there's still the same problem that standard has. So there wasn't really a good choice between Legacy, which is now too expensive, or standard, which We've already mentioned many of the issues with standard. Ben. Chaz, really quickly, while we're on the subject of legacy versus modern, and just uh, sort of how one turned into the other, and there was all the all the complaints about the reserve list. As you're looking at modern now and the state that it's in, do you think that it was a suitable fix for them to double down the way they did? Do you think now, a few years in, that the problem has been solved to some degree? To some degree, I still think that getting rid of the reserve list would have been a better solution. Uh, however that was clearly not going to happen and it's not it's, it is not going to happen i know people keep re you know they they keep bringing that issue back up but it's not going to happen i i do think modern i like the format a lot uh i do think it still has some issues in terms of stagnation and in terms of the fact that they try and fix the format through sometimes banning fair decks or trying to you know, manipulate it through banning so that it becomes a, a newer format or a different format so it doesn't feel the same. And there's still, it doesn't quite have the format diversity of Legacy. I don't know what the fix is to that. But I do think that, you know, we've had years of Modern now. Most of those years have been awesome. There have been great decks. There's been great tournaments. I like it. Right. So, like, yeah, that's totally fair. It, 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 it's ended up being a very interesting format, which kudos you know kudos to to wizards good job on their end and but what it kind of creates is this interesting speculating market kind of getting back on subject <laughs> um where you know because of modern season or what used to be modern season that i guess no longer exists but because of the rotation schedule modern kind of goes with these buoys and waves where you kind of really can know when okay i need to start selling at this time of year which is around now yep. or you need to start buying which is around september yep um what you know generally what kind of is your strategy along those lines uh it's well i don't know how it's going to adjust now that we don't really have seasons anymore and this is the right. first year where we haven't had a designated modern season um i do think that this time of year has always been the kindest to to magic prices uh part of that i think is tax returns people like spending their uh extra money on something right. fun um, I think another part of it is that we're at the point now where, you know, we kind of know what standard is. We're a little sick of the fall block. You know, the winter set doesn't ever really shake things up that much. So people start focusing more on the eternal play. There's usually a legacy in a modern GP, you know, in February, March. So um, this this is generally, generally the uh, first three weeks of March sort of into April um, is the high season for modern and legacy prices and then things tend to sort of slow down and late august is generally where the right time to buy uh, modern master is going to change that though i i really think that this year specifically because of modern masters we're going to see uh, all the rares printed in modern masters are going to tank um right like, like they always time. do yeah yeah and but what i think is going to happen is um everyone's going to be reminded it's modern. You can go to buy a box of modern masters. You can build half a deck from it. And then people right. are going to go out and they're going to buy the cards they need to finish that deck. And so we're going to see a lot of prices that would normally be ebbing. They're going to shoot up and they're going to stay probably fairly high through the modern masters draft season because of that. 
Well, if you look at like the format format staples that were reprint or reprinted in the original Modern Masters, most of them went down for about that summer, but then started going up, ticking up, or even skyrocketing. In like the case of Cryptic Command. It, oh yeah, it's the anything rares, playable, right? It, it, the rares that I noticed that hit were hit the hardest were like the commander staple ones, which yep. they like snuck in there, except doubling season, which is now right. back up to where it was. <laughs> every every other casual wear, like a dark card Valkyrie, that was a ten dollar card before right. Modern Masters. You can pick them up for fifty cents now. And I, I do think part of the reason doubling season even just recently bounced back is kind of to the work of like Travis Wu was putting that yeah. modern list. Like modern started kind of focusing on it, like oh, this card can do ridiculously powerful things if the right thing happens. And so we need to keep an eye on it. And I think just every green EDH deck on the planet should be playing well, one. One of my favorite uh, sort of rules of thumb when it comes to speculation is to look at a card that does nothing but get better when more things are printed that interact with it. Doubling season gets better every single time a Planeswalker is printed because right. every Planeswalker is doubled up with a doubling season in play. So I don't know if it'll ever sure. be tier one in modern, but a card like that that they're clearly never going to reprint again in a standard legal set you know, always, you know, a threat to, to go up. Right. And, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but with Narset, I mean, Wizards made a, a vague promise to the world that they're going to try making Planeswalkers that didn't just go off with doubling season. But they proved with Narset that, like, they can't really make that promise conveniently because it's just, like, they don't want to worry about a card, you know, from 10 sets ago that's in a format they don't really test yeah, they, for. Yeah, they, they really know. can't. So <laughs> yeah. they're like, well, I'd rather make standard great and you're just going to once in a while get cool cards. that, And that's great for stuff like doubling season where it's like, well, great. Now I can just silence people's spells for the rest of the game. Mind you, I don't see that card no, yeah, being played in modern. Bad. But <laughs> Ben? You guys, were you guys talked about uh, with, with Modern Masters 1 and, and the price variance that happened when that set was released and the season ended. Now, some of those cards have, have gone back up. What about the cards like Path to Exile and the, and the slightly the uncommons essentially that we've seen now reprinted in various decks and, and things like modern masters did they resettle or are they are they lower than they they're, were they're the lower than they were uh and and they'll keep being i mean they're gonna take a beating if they come back right uh, because at a certain point you reach a saturation with stuff like that and you're saying well now there finally are at least at this point in time enough path to exiles for everyone who wants one to reasonably get one Though a lot of the uncommons from that set did bounce back to a certain extent. To a certain I mean, extent. At least the yeah, they, they bounce ones. back, but but not to their pre-modern masters correct, values. Correct, correct. I mean, like, I would recommend right now both um, Remand and Zero Visions are pretty much locks. And yep. obviously they're not locks, but... Sell now. Yeah, sell now. <laughs> <laughs> because they will... Unless you have your four that you're going to play with and you're not going to buy any modern masters, then just hold on and ride the wave. But, yeah, it's definitely... The cards to look out for, like, we're in a really interesting position right now because Modern Masters 2 is coming out, and a lot of people that have invested in Modern, look at your cards, look at the ones that weren't in the first one, and look at ones that aren't, are in sets that, like, were pre-Innistrad, and you really should think of either moving them or holding on to the copies that you are keeping purely for playing reasons, because they could all take a hit to a certain extent. My theory on this is... Don't worry about mythics. It's the rares right. you have to worry about. Because in Modern Masters 1, they printed a bunch of mythics. None of them went down in price. Some of right. them went up in price. Most of them did. So, I mean, we. I think we're you know we're going to see Karn. We're going to see Goyf. We're going to see, you know, a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure how much of that stuff's going to go down. Right. But the rares, yeah. The rares are going to take a hit. Anything pre-Innistrad that hasn't been pre-printed in Modern Masters yet that is played in Modern is very likely to come back. Noble hierarchy. Hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the fear with the original Modern Masters. They've taught. I mean, they did it once before. Chronicles tanked the market. Yep. Um, I think they're interacting with it smart, 
more smart than they did then. I do think part of the issue with Chronicles was that the reason that the cards were expensive was not due to playability or power level, but was just due to the fact that the first 15 sets of Magic were so underprinted that people didn't get any cards in many parts of the world and country. Um, yeah, if, if you weren't waiting in line for a box of Legends, you weren't getting one. Exactly. So, like, there's cards that just you never had a chance to get that now you had, but then you weren't really going to play with them because it's not good. It's just you didn't have it before. Yeah, I, I, I compare Chronicles to Modern Masters before, and I'll, I'll do it again, but it's really not the same sort of thing. I really do over. I do think that they're being, at least so far, they've been, uh, you know, Modern Masters is clearly going to make prices go down. Other prices will go up to compensate. Modern will get slightly cheaper. But, um, but then it'll the, also get more accessible, right? It, it, and when it becomes more accessible, a larger a large influx will come into the market, making it less accessible. I mean, cards will start I, I think expensive. the real problem is that they've clearly stated that they want a couple of cards that are chase cards in modern. Right, Karmagoyf being one of them. But the issue is, you know, I don't care how many copies of other green modern cards they reprint. If you still need to spend a thousand dollars to play green in modern because you need four Karmagoyfs, that's an issue. And right. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Right. I, I mean, I haven't gone on record, but I'm going to go on record right now. I think Tarmogoyf is not necessarily dangerous in standard. I think it has to be printed in the right environment. I think the last couple of years I've had Fetchlands or Graveyard mechanics in the set, which makes it more difficult. But if you could put them in an environment which exists not that rarely, where like at most by turn five I've gone sorceries and instants into my graveyard and maybe a creature, a three, four for two isn't overbearing were you playing standard no. during future site because I, I, I was i was um I was. it it was the first time ever that a magic card went to 40 dollars in right. standard because it was very hard to play a deck that didn't run tarmogoyf but does printing it in standard a second time and not necessarily in a core set but in something like the the opening set of a block make it a little bit more accessible than... I mean, it was... Oh, it would make it more yeah, accessible. Yeah. The question is, do you like, want to see every deck in standard having Karmagoy? And maybe that's not a problem. We've had Corsair of Kufrik's, you know, dominating for right. a year and a half, and no one's really minded I mean, that. For the last year and a half, Spotsies have been in every block deck. Remember, let's remember for a quick second that, like, with, so with the, the first reference to Chronicles, obviously Chronicles, we hadn't established Mythic Rares yet. So you're, you're drawing from a, a smaller pool of cards and they didn't really understand rarity in the same way that they do now when they printed Chronicles. Then you move forward with that and you say if Tarmogoyf were to be printed in standard, yes, or even if you say that it was a safe environment for the card to be printed, Tarmogoyf was printed at a time when Mythics didn't yet exist. So if you put Tarmogoyf into standard and it is even remotely as harmful, let's just say that they can create an environment where it's not as good as it was back in 2007 in Future Sight, but it's still quite good. It's going to have to be a Mythic rare. It's a mythic rare in modern, so yep. it's still going to be a mythic rare that's probably a four of in most decks, and it still is going to be. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a fifty-five or sixty-dollar modern or a standard. Absolutely, card, sixty. Isn't easily. that also unhealthy if standard requires that? I mean, that's worse probably because the standard base is so much larger. If you're making the standard player have to play that card, it's worse than making a modern player have to play it. Even if the modern player has to pay four times as much for it, there's so many less modern players. Right, and, and what I'm kind of discussing is not necessarily even mythic. I'm saying rare, and I don't necessarily agree with this. I'm, I'm more saying for the saying for the thought experiment of, I mean, if they reprint the Zendikar Fetchlands in Return to Zendikar or Battle for Zendikar, that's tanking the market pretty much almost worse than if they were to reprint Tarmogoyf. Like, yes, those players out of Tarmogoyf lose that investment right there, but, like, I, if they reprint Misty Rainforest and Scalding Tarn, that's a 
comparable investment. Well, I, I do feel like there are implicit contracts that Wizards has with the player base. And I, I feel like the Zendikar lands were originally designed to make, you know, fetch lands more accessible. Right. And then they went way up, and it was clear, I mean, from the, the things that Aaron Forsyth was saying online, that they didn't expect them to ever get to, right. to that level. Tarmogoyf is a card that now has been the flagship... Of the format. Of, well, no, it's been the, uh, the flagship of the marketing behind two modern master sets, of which packs have been respectively $7 and $10. Right. That is saying it's a contract, I believe, between Wizards and the players being like, look, this is the card you want to open from here. This is the reason you're paying us $10 a pack. If you make that a regular rare and a standard legal set at $3.99 a pack, I feel like that is a problem in terms of getting it's a little people. Bit. It's, it's a problem when it's, they're going to try and sell the next Modern Master set and Dark Confidant's the headliner, and people are going to say, well, why Very am I spending $10 a pack on this? Well, and, and I, I, to, I totally agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I guess this kind of brings me into the next section, which is things to be wary of with finance in, in mm -hmm. Modern in general, and one of them is reprints. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, and with Modern Masters, we've been talking about it almost to death, Probably because it's about to come out and it's super relevant, um, and we'll probably keep talking about it. But the rares are a danger. But like, really, the thing that has tanked cards more because Modern Masters one didn't hurt the market that much, and and as we said, it kind of helped it more than anything. Many cards grew out of it, and the cards that got tanked were kind of how Chronicles cards were tanked. weren't actually expensive because of playability; they're expensive because of rarity. Rarity. Yeah. Um, when a card is reprinted in standard. That's when it really – I mean, Thoughtseize was a $50 card. It's now a – I think it's back to 20 yep, maybe on a good day. Yep. Um, but there was a while there where, like, it tanked the sh – I mean, we were talking about earlier. Fetch – or Shocklands were all $50 cards, and they're now $10 cards. The Commander Precons tank modern stuff too. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so these are things – and Wizards has kind of said that this is the reason it exists. So it's something to be wary of. There is also – a way to play around or to spend your money correctly and knowing, okay, this card is never going to be seeing play in standard again. Like, we're never going to see Archbound Ravager in standard. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, Liliana the Veil sure. has been stated is too powerful to be in standard. There I do think we'll see her again at some point, but it would I, have to take a very specific environment. Right. Yeah. I think part of it is, I think one of the reasons they're coming out with the new one, the one that was spoiled, is because this is kind of them, this is a slightly underpowered version of her, but let's, like, get something close back That's to That's a good point. That. Yeah, because I... I know they had said they, that she was originally in the design file for M15, but was nixed for power reasons. Right, so, and, yeah. and part of that was just mono-black devotion was in the format and <laughs> was just too That would have been ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. it would have been made... would have been horrible. A black yeah, pun summer. Yep. <laughs> pun intended. Um, the, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's one of the issues. Other things are bannings, and this is kind of the classic one, and this is a lot of people I talk to's biggest fear of the format. Oh, for sure. I, I imagine there were people who had you know thousand dollar birthing pod decks that woke up to that ban announcement and right. were just looking at their deck and saying well what do i do i'm going to a modern tournament in three weeks yeah yeah i mean it, it it's interesting that that deck you just had to invest in what we pleases in the end <laughs> well back. that's the thing is i i, I should have gone out and bought at buy list prices of everyone's pod right, decks right. <laughs> now it's just obs on yeah it just bounced back yeah it, it, it's really interesting how the format kind of mixed out with that. But even in the past, like, you know, a lot of people I know, they were on Stormplan and Seeding Song got banned. Or they were on Eggs right after that because they're like, oh, well, Storm's gone, well, Eggs is the same deck. And then three weeks later, it was banned. Yeah. So it's like, there you mean was. Austin? A... You mean our friend Austin? Yeah, yeah. Or what? <laughs> um, and he was playing Pod too. He's had really bad luck. That's not great. <laughs> yeah. the format. 
I kind of well, blame him. When, when you yeah. pick the dick that's clearly the most broken. Right. You're going to eventually... You should be afraid of your, your deck-picking habits. But, you know, be aware that there are fair, powerful strategies, and then there are strategies that might get hit if they do something that's obvious. Like, right now, I don't think Amulet Bloom is a deck that I would be heavily considering investing in the expensive staples for. I'm not sure about that. A Amulet Bloom, it's a hard deck to play. Right. There's a lot of expensive cards in it that are only good in that deck, and that's the big worry, right? Is that you ban one piece of that deck and the whole thing goes goes away. But I don't know. I mean, I I feel like it has put up kind of a couple of fluky results, and that's about it. Am, am I wrong? I I think it had two very large premiere showings, right? And and really the only two modern premiere play. I mean, there have been Star City game IQs, but even then, those weren't haven't been since February. And like the Pro Tour, and then the following GP both yeah. had three between them, and four if you include the top sixteen. But I still think that Splinter Twins the story of those two. True, tournaments. true, true, true. Uh, I guess the point more is if it's able to win, and it does relatively often win before turn three. Even, mm -hmm. I mean, it wins on turn zero in a format where their byline rule has been... That's true. Th and that's And more than the fact that if they leave that in the format, how much can they keep cards like Seething Song off where they ban specifically because this wins too early? I know they've said they've had that turn three rule, and, and I've sort of followed that as a rule of thumb when it's come to thinking about what might be banned. But I'm the as the format evolves, I'm starting to think that really what they're doing is they're petrified of a stagnant format with like four or five decks and that's it right they really want you to be able to pick you know 10 or 15 or you know they want it to be legacy where you can play any one of 30 decks yeah and obviously it's not going to be that but i feel like they're going to keep sort of a heavier hand on the ban hammer as they just continue to try and make sure that the format is innovation they're petrified of stagnation right and one of the issues is they don't have i mean they do have one catch-all answer and that's thoughtsies versus force of will yeah and they don't have access to force of will and force of will would be too strong for standard based off of well, every developer well let's talk about that okay. i'm not convinced <laughs> you, you're talking about tarmogoyf and standard right. i think tarmogoyf would be bad for standard i think force of will would be fine okay i think you print force of will in a standard legal set i don't think it's that great because you're not protecting a combo right the card True. disadvantage is extreme uh, and then you have Force of Will in Modern, and then I think you can start to bring back some combo pieces. And I think Modern yeah. becomes much better when you have Force of Will and a little more combo in the format. See, because we talked about this like uh, two weeks ago with Sperling, and my feeling was I was trying to figure out, okay, what are the things that have to exist in Modern to make the format a little bit more you have insurance without having an unfair way to, to protect your combos. Essentially cards that are like cards that I can't lose the game, not like it makes it impossible for you to beat me cards. And I was thinking about Force of Will, and could you put it in Modern? And I just don't feel like any of the blue combo decks just get... Like, how, how can you really have Force of Will and not expect Splinter Twin to just be the only deck? How does that really happen? How does any blue... How does any any base blue strategy not just become completely unbeatable if you have Force of Will in Modern? Do you don't think that that's a concern? Abrupt decay. I, I do think you would have to make some other changes as well. You're, you're right that if, if you just threw Force of Will in now, it would not... It would probably lead to a OP Splinter format. Twin. Right. Yeah. But I, th I think that if you brought back some other things and maybe took away some things, you would get to a better place eventually. Because Force of Will, it's I mean, such I an important safety valve in Legacy that not having it in Modern really means that they have to be, they have to have that heavier hand when it right. comes to... See, I, I actually kind of like the middle ground on this point, and I think Days is the card. 
Um, I think that having a card like Force of Will that lets you interact on that no mana level, but or like having an island in play, but I think it's a little bit fairer of a card and it allows people to play around it where you can't really play around Force of Will. You just have to be like, I have to play something that you are also afraid of, so you counter that so I can counter my other thing that's not that that's is a good point. scarier. Yeah. Where something like Days has a lot of the same interaction, but it allows you to, you know, I just have to make sure I don't tap out, which slows the format a little bit, which is great. The format needs to be a little slower, and it allows you to interact with stuff like Amulet of Bloom early. It lets you kind of counter counter magic decks or make them have to counter war with you, which is exactly what you kind of want it to be. Yeah. I also really like with Days that in modern, the way Days interacts with Shocklands makes Days a little bit worse than it is in Legacy. It's not just like a free thing. It's like kind of bad. So I think that that's, that's a good idea. Well, here's a question. What card would we need to get modern to a place where a pure control deck can compete? Because right now we've got mid-range, we've got combo, and then we've got these aggro decks, which are kind of combo-y. We have, I guess, there's the mid-range control is really the control deck right now. I mean, that's yeah. what that was Spurling's theater is that our theory was there is a control deck. There is a I, I have answers for what you're doing, and it's based off of discarding the Liliana, mm -hmm. um, which is kind. Of, the problem is that that's mid-range really because you're also playing Tarmogoyf and, and giant right. five or four or five rhinos. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a mid-range deck, but it yeah, it, it's okay, the I only thing with that. answers. Mm -hmm. um and his theory was like you know what in legacy blue is the control color in modern it's black um with the taste of green because <laughs> abrupt decay Fair is enough. a card yeah um, mid-range almost is control that's that's that is true i i actually did on this theory and in the note of making blue maybe a better color and we keep talking about this on this podcast but i think dig through time was kind of maybe that answer and then banning both of the cards at the same time with treasure cruise was a mistake i think dig through time Gave strength to the combo decks, but not in a way that was speeding them up. And it didn't give as much strength to the decks that were all about the velocity of what cards they were playing. So it kind of put you in a convenient position where you can allow control decks to actually find the answers they need. Because the problem with modern is it's so diverse and there's no way to find the things you need to be able to answer what's attacking you. That's a good point, though I do feel like if you think that modern is combo heavy now, adding dig through time is probably not going to be the way to stop that. True. I guess my response to that would be the best way to fight combo heavy metagames is having a control deck that can answer them. And you some type of selection or card selection is what's needed. I don't think it's Jace because I think Jace no. is, is worse when it comes to combo being too good. Because I would not like to see Jace come back yeah, to modern. There are just so many reasons it would be yeah. bad. We probably could do a whole episode on what Jace you could. is bad for modern. You could. Um, so we should probably get back to the finance, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, let me let me ask really let me ask really quickly uh, on that note. Getting back to the finance, we we sort of want to talk about just uh, maintaining and upping your strategy as a finance guy. Uh, you know the, the advice you would give, and I wanted to ask before we just go over the ways to do it. Is there one story you can think of in your own uh, finance career with Magic that really illustrates sort of that finger on the pulse, one step ahead, where you came out way ahead. You wanted to tell really quickly that you could sort of just walk us into how to stay up to date on your magic finance portfolio. I think it's it's not so much one story. It's just the way that I manage my own collection. And the way I manage my so own collection... elaborate on that just a little. Um, what I do generally is I try and think ahead as much as I can about the strategies I like to play and how I like to approach the game. Um, and then I try and plan months ahead in terms of what cards I need. I buy, I hold off on a lot of stuff until rotation. Um, and then I, I buy a lot of stuff. Generally, it's 
It used to be the last two weeks of August. Now it's sort of the first two weeks of August. There's generally this great opportunity there to pick up um, cards that um, I'm going to be able to use for the next four or five years for basically whatever their floor is going to be. Yeah, quarters on the uh, dollar. Exactly. And and, and you just you kind of have to adopt that when it comes to whatever you do. I love buying fall set stuff in December. Uh, everyone's sick of it. Uh, we've been grafting three-pack sets for months, and everything's at the floor. I, Siege Rhino, uh, you know, Star City had them for under $3 yeah. for all of December. I bought my play set and then plus for $4 yeah. a pop because it was like, it's seeing play in modern. It's the best card and one of the best decks in modern. It's not going to get banned anytime soon because no. the exact card wizard wants to be good. Exactly. Uh, there's no reason not to just pick up a bunch at $4 because it's going to go up. I, I, I just like the idea of being patient. You know, I was at a store last week and I found a playset of Eidolon of the Great Revel, $5 a card. Right. You know, it's just stuff like that. You know, it's like I've been thinking about buying a set of those for a while. Um, for my, you know, because I like playing Burn sometimes. Right. Uh, it's a card I'm going to be able to use for years. Uh, at five dollars a card, it could go to thirty. It could go down to two. It's not really a big deal to me, whichever of those things happens. Right. And I mean that that is a card that come August, once rotating out of the format, isn't a bad pickup for everyone. Oh, it's a great pickup. Especially like even now, where your collection, if you're in modern already, could be going down very soon. Even though it'll probably bounce back, it's not a bad time to think. Okay, I'm going to trade my noble hierarchs. For Eidolons, or you know, even their Snapcaster Mage, wait for everything to tank, then trade those Snapcaster Mages back for reduced-priced Noble Hierarchs. The other thing I did was uh, when Modern Masters came out last time, I looked and said, "All right, what is the strategy here they're pushing the most?" And to me, it was Affinity. So I said, "You know, they're reprinting nearly every Affinity staple in this set. They're probably not going to do that the next time around." The other Affinity cards were all relatively new. It was, you know, uh, Steel Overseer, and it was uh, Ink Moth Nexus, and it was stuff that was still fairly low. Right. So I just went, and I bought an Affinity deck. Right. And I just, you know, you go to the find the lowest price, you, and now it's worth double. Right. And, and that's something also to think about is – Affinity is actually a very good example. One of my best, like, finance purchases was – I saw we were going back to Scars of Mirrodin. This was before Modern existed, but, when, but Affinity was kind of on the cusp of being close to Legacy playable. So I just bought out – as many as the the legacy affinity staples as I could get my hands on, because like there's no way they're not going to start printing cards in the set that, it, like either they're going to stay the exact same, because they're they haven't changed for decades or not decades but decades, or sure. they'll start shooting up because like Mox, because Mox Opal got printed, yeah. because uh, Steel Overseer was printed that summer, because like all these cards started coming out, you're like, and then now's not a bad time. Look at Zendikar. Zendikar is coming out this fall. We're going to go back there. That is a land-heavy set. Stuff like Landfall and possibly Allies and the Eldrazi. And mechanics around them are showing up. What deck strategies lend themselves to that? How much better is Tron going to be in six months? I just came up with my spec. That the one from the beginning. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> See the Unwritten. Oh, yeah. yeah this yeah, is yeah. I brought this up in my latest article. Um, it's a six-drop green card? It's a six-drop green mythic from Cons of Tarkir. Um, uh, last time we had the Eldrazi, uh, the Eldrazi deck with Summoning Trap was one of the tier one decks in the format. Now, Summoning Trap didn't do a heck of a lot, but it was a rare. This is a mythic. You can pick them up right now for bulk mythic prices. I just grabbed, you know, I grabbed probably a dozen of them for a buck fifty a piece shipped. 
and you know there's really no downside to that worst right. case it's a casual card you know a year or two from now you can sell them for what you paid right best case it goes to 15 this fall when Kozilek, the even bigger batter Kozilek, comes Ooh, out right. and everyone wants to cheat him into play and this is the best way to do it so that's the card i'd pick up right now buck 50 you, you, you can't beat it what do you think so what do you think is a realistic estimate in your mind of where it'll go to it depends i mean if we see uh do you remember when um eye of ugin yes. was spoiled and everyone's like what does eye of ugin do <laughs> and it was like you could pick them up for two dollars what's an eldrazi you know, it started for like seven because people are like well it's got to be good it's a land right. and then people had sort of forgotten about it you can pick them up for two Kozilek is spoiled it hits 20 overnight just because right. people are like well now i can go get this <laughs> you know and of course it didn't end up being you know more than a one of in a couple of decks right but i you know you when the hype spike yes, hits <laughs> you want to have them because you know people are you know short-sighted sometimes when it comes to that stuff well and that's like one situation i mean look at bonfire of the damned or mm -hmm. like another card that when it was spoiled it was like oh it's an x spell x spells of like fireball hasn't been good for actually almost 20 years yep. in standard like it's probably not casino play it's a mythic that's kind of cool but like uh meteor storm from zendikar was like a similar card that saw no play meh and then oh wait it's like miracles is totally bonkers and this card jumped up to 20 bucks overnight and you could have picked them up at a dollar 75 a pop oh i, I did <laughs> <laughs> that and entreat i wish there were two that i wish i'd gone deeper on i think i picked up just a set each for myself right well yeah i mean well th like that's the other thing i i always look at when either new cards or especially when new cards are being created is things that do stuff that's weird and hasn't been seen before like I actually do believe that Soul uh, Grandmaster or Soul Fire Grandmaster, I think is yep, what it's called, right. yep. is probably under. I mean, right now I think it's still at seventeen or fifteen, so it's not. It's still uh, too high. It's still too high. But if it goes farther down, it has the potential of possibly being much stronger in the future because it does something nothing has ever really done before, or a combination of things something has. My done favorite before. are cards and it, that and it combos are... with training grounds. We're going back to Zendikar. The training grounds might have gotten better. Yeah. I, I've been trying to make training grounds work for years, for years. I love that card. If it's reprinted in standard, oh, I don't even know. I think your brain will break. <laughs> but you were saying you had a card or cards that you look for. Oh, uh, one of my favorite things to do when looking at a spoiler is looking at cards that do something that has always been bad because people will underestimate a card that has it's historically been like you know this right. is trash this is trash this is trash like you said about the fireball it's like no, you know every set is the crappy fireball that comes around and no one ever plays it right and then you know it's easy to overlook the one time they finally print one of these that's actually worth worth playing right well so and, and one time legoyf was ever good was the time that tarmogoyf is 200 <laughs> yeah right i mean like wizards has like, I think they do it to make a point of, like, we can make something good if we wanted to. So once in a while, they're like, well, this has been bad forever. Let's make R as a thing now. Right. <laughs> Let's put rank R in standard. Let's see what happens. So, like, it's definitely something Wizards likes to do, so it's good to keep an eye out. I guess that kind of gets to our next section. I think we, I mean, we can talk more. We can literally talk strategy for hours. For sure. But, you know, right now we're in the middle of the Dragons of Tarkir release. We've been kind of talking about the subject matter it is. I, I kind of want to talk about pre-release finance strategy like what happened or not even necessarily pre-release but like spoiler season pre-hype post-hype the whole shebang <laughs> um and then we'll, we'll probably get into pointing out some things that we do or don't like from dragons of tarkir um 
what time do you think is the best time to start buying cards from a new set? Uh, I think there are three windows that are good for buying cards. The first is uh, if you see a card spoiled and you think this is bananas, this is going to be the next big thing, and you see it spoiled for a dollar, a dollar fifty, you know, on that very, very first morning, generally right. within an hour of it going up, there's a small, small window where you can get in before people figure it out. Right. It's been closing for years, and I almost never have any luck doing doing that anymore. I mean, like, Sid DC this time was, like, a dollar for yeah. three hours when it was spoiled, and now it's you, eight. You, yeah. you can do that. Um, Castigar, I think, is another good. The, the next time you want to do it is when um, the first tournament weekend after the uh, pre-release is when you finally start to see results. Right. Like, that's where Cassiger first reared his head. Um, and then after that, you want to wait about two or three weeks for the hype to die down, and things will start to settle, you know, 50 cents a dollar. And that's when you can start to go in on cards that may be harder to figure out. Right. Like, you know, Whisper, Whisperwood Elemental, you could pick them up for five, you know, in that little lull between right, right, the crazy right. $10 pre-order and then back to the sort of 10 and 15. Where it, like, didn't really see play, but it was still, and just because the red-green version of the deck wasn't really stirring up the steam, right. and then it tore up two tournaments, and welcome to the standard we're in now. Exactly. Um, the one other time I actually wanted to point out of good times to actually look for cards that might be underrated is... There is always maybe five to ten rares that get spoiled all at once on the day that they release the entire set all at once. Very good point. Yep. Hellrider um, was one of those. Yeah, Hellrider. Yep. Uh, Spellskite was one of Spellskite, them, which is yep. one of the more famous. Like, these are cards that they just kind of throw everything out there. Boris Reckoner was another yep. one where, like, I traded a foil Boris, Boris Reckoner on the day of a pre-release for, like, I think a Borogamos. Because <laughs> I was just like, eh, I've never even seen this card. It's okay, whatever. And then I, I like, looked it up. I was like, oh, this is one of those cards. <laughs> what did I do? Yep. And but you love Barbary Gymos. You played him in standard at one point. Oh yeah, I mean I definitely have I've <laughs> omniscience into Borogamos and to uh, enter the infinite. And <laughs> in that's standard. a good day. This was a good day. Time that I had there. like seventy gloom surgeons. What? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like it, it's it's these kind of cards that when it, what happens is the entire world it's too much sensory overload that no one can pick out everything that's good. It's not like during regular spoil season where there's three cards a day, every single card is analyzed to death. And by the time the end of the day happens, all the finance articles are up and you're done. That's a great point. Yeah, that that you're right. That last day, great great time to look right. for bargains. Um, then it comes down to waiting for either rotation because that's a, another good thing to look out for. Is you know, Dragons Dark here right now might print a bunch of cards, but that don't see a lot of play because Theros is taking too much space into the format. But then Theros rotates out, and now you have it's the half the format. And so its themes might be a little stronger once Theros is no longer around versus while it's still around. Well, I also think for modern players especially, one of the things that happens during spoiler season is something will come out that's clearly playable in standard and modern, and the price will be triple what it would be if it was just standard. Just people are like, oh, I can buy it for Eternal. I'll have it for right, years. Right. And then the price will slowly come down because people are realizing that modern demand is fairly low compared to standard demand. And there's a great time to buy in, you know, four months, five months, if you're if you're willing to wait for your modern deck right. before people remember. Oh wait, this card is bananas and modern, like abrupt this decay. You could you could pick abrupt them up decay, for five yeah. bucks. Five bucks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. there's. I mean, even like dig through time before it got banned yep. was kind of like on this path. There are definitely cards when you see something that's more playable in modern than standard. That's generally a good card to pick up. 
eventually because standard playable is what drives the market with standard legal cards. And if it's not seen playing standard, people will think less highly of it for whatever reason, even though, you know, Abrupt Decay, I like picked up foils for $10 and I was like, great. <laughs> this is Magic Christmas Land. And then That's ten, a nice one. <laughs> five years later, I'm like, oh, these are worth 100 bucks. Yep. Great. Um, so there's definitely like unique things like that that you can pick up. And, you know, the nice thing about Modern is it's a long game. You, if you're just buying when sets rotate out of the format, the staples, you eventually will build a collection of modern that you can trade one for one for these older staples. The Snapcaster mages that you picked up actually when they rotated and are 25 bucks, you can now trade four of those for a Tarmogoyf, which back then you'd need 10 of them. So it definitely is interesting how a format that rotates out is one of the other good times to probably invest in these cards. The other thing that is sort of the, my newest arsenal to the pre-release game is um, it used to be that I would just sort of laugh at people who pre-ordered, you know, $50 Planeswalkers because clearly they're never going to be that. And I would, you know, but if I opened one and I didn't get the right deal, I would just sort of stick it in my binder and wait for somebody to nibble. Now I very aggressively try and move those cards generally at a major discount for what they book for because people are willing you know if they see a 50 dollars planeswalker and they know it's not going to stay there they probably won't trade for it at 50 but if you say 35 right then now you can start to talk to people and if you think that card's destined to be 10 or 15 you're still getting a crazy right. deal over what the price is going to end up being and i mean we were talking about this before that's the time you start trading for those foil boros reckoners yep. where oh this is like a random dirty card you have a planeswalker i'll give you three boros reckoners I've never even seen this card, and now you've made a bunch of money. And You, you can also, for one of the uh, pre-release day or, like, that week is generally one of the only times when you can get people to trade away some of their eternal staples for your standard stuff because they're so excited. It's right. shiny new stuff. So you can get you can target things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get in a standard-for-standard standard trade. So now I guess speaking of cards that are rotating and foily shiny planeswalkers <laughs> um, these are some of the cards that have been talked about a lot in dragons of tarkir that people think might see modern play and i want to kind of bring up and point out either if they will or will not be i guess the first would be narset um i think i could never ben bellweiss blayweiss blayweiss yeah I'm, I'm terrible he's a he's a big fan of narset <laughs> yeah he literally said this is top three Liliana, Jace, the Mind Sculptor level of playing. He did say that. He definitely did yeah. say that. <laughs> I, I'm not quite in his camp there. Um, I'm not. I'm not in that camp. I, it's really funny. I literally had an argument. I think it was either on Twitter or Facebook that day, in depth on how I would much rather play um, Venser over <laughs> Narset in Modern. And then I got to brewing, and you might all see that brew one day on this podcast. But it, it what it came down to is, I'd rather play the Jace. Then the the, the Return of Ravnica yep. Jace over Narset. There's a lot of car and like and then people are like, why not Elsbeth? Like they was like start throwing other just other right. planeswalkers I'd rather play. And I don't see it seeing a lot of play in modern. It's not the control card planeswalker people have been wanting. Rebound isn't that strong. It doesn't even it's not even a great control card. It's better in an aggro control deck right. anyway. Because you're getting the tempo field, you're getting the fact that, you, like, the point is you want, the best thing I can imagine you doing is rebounding removal spells. Yep. And you need to be playing Dover to do that. Or so, guys. I mean, it costs, it costs four, it has six loyalty, which is the first thing you pay attention to. How do you think it compares to Sarkin Unbroken? Four, four loyalty for five mana and can draw a card or get a dragon right off the bat. Seems better to me. I mean, it's more expensive. In standard, but... I'd much be much rather play Sarkon because it 
like heavily affects the board it comes from, into play. From what I've seen, because I've talked to a lot of people and read a lot of articles on this, people are dismissing Sarkan as a dirty casual card and saying that Narset is, you know, the second coming of Jace. Right. I think they're roughly equivalent in standard. Okay. I because I think you know, Narset. Yeah, Narset. If you if you can get that loyalty going and you have control of the board or even a board stall where you can protect her for a while, you're in a good place. Right. Sarkan. You play a Rattleclaw Mystic morphed on turn three. You unmorph, your turn four is drop Sarkan. And a 4-4 four, four dragon. like make a 4-4 yeah. four, four to protect him, and then you start drawing cards. In order for that Rattleclaw play, you don't even need to have Teamer mana. You just need green, because right. Rattleclaw makes the Teamer mana for Sarkan. Like, financially, $30 is still way, way too nuts for him, but I don't think that's a zero in standard. I think that's a real card. Oh, yeah. I, I think... If Sarkon out of the gate doesn't start seeing play and goes down to the like $15, $20 Planeswalker mark, that's the time you start thinking about picking him up. Potentially, yeah. He has the potential. He has a much higher potential, I think. or uh, he, Because he is so underrated, he has higher potential than Narset does right now. I agree with that. Um, yeah, Narset will never go down to a price where it makes sense to buy in. At right. least not for it, the next few months. Right. And then by the time... Well, what, I think what, the other thing with... Oh, Cass, I was just going to say, the other thing about Sarkon to me that jumps out... So I understand with Narset you're, that you're dealing with six loyalty at four and the possibility of drawing cards. Then obviously, if it comes down, it goes up to seven. It's going to be difficult for them to get it off the board with damage. So you'll probably get at least one rebounded spell before it's gone. With Sarkon, I see it and I go, okay, everything everything about this card that Modern wants, the only thing that it's not doesn't have is that it costs five. And things that cost five in Modern traditionally don't really work. But this is a card that comes down, draws you a card, or makes you a four toughness evasive creature. So it's like all the things about the, like the, the third and fourth and fifth Garricks with card drawing and creature making that are good, but the creature's evasive, it has four toughness, and this thing draws you cards. So that to me is like all those things jump out as this card is very, very powerful. I'm just not exactly sure that it, at five it can really be played modern. And that's you never I think know. Standard is a place to look. The problem yeah. with modern is Splinter Twin. <laughs> right. If you're ta- like the only two cards I can think of that I want to be tapping out. Or the, I guess three cards in like honest magic. I'm not thinking Tron because that's a different conversation. Are Batterskull, right. which can stabilize against most aggro decks, and it's normally a sideboard card for non-Splinter Twin matchups. Gideon, because right. you can play him, and worst case scenario, he you don't die to Splinter Twin because you plus him. Or uh, Karanos, which is a a control card, sideboard card, and beyond that. The format is so much more made out of zero to four drops. Yeah, it's it's very hard to get a five mana card to work in right. modern. And, and, and part of that I think is you just you, tapping out in modern is a a bad idea. <laughs> it's <laughs> a very bad idea because most decks can just kill you accidentally if you tap out. And a True. five drop then makes it really a seven drop, and you either have to be playing a really grindy control deck. A ramp style deck, which you know Tron plays seven drops, but it's also playing Karn on seven, which is basically. A completely different conversation. Game it, winner. Like five that you're just you get a four four for five. I don't see a lot of reason to play it because it doesn't stabilize against aggro. If it was a life linking dragon, different conversation. But then we're talking birthing pod. Right. No, that's uh, fair. That's fair. So the other, and I apologize to all of you listeners who are in the future from now and have possibly seen the full cycle because we currently don't have access to the green white commands. But uh. One of the big premier cycles in this form it, from this set are the commands. Um, obviously, 
The most playable, I think, is the green-red one, Atarkar's Command. In modern, for sure. In modern. Yep. Um, awesome. The fact that it costs two, I, I think it sides very easily into Zoo, and it can very well be a playable card in Burn if they want to go for the fifth mana. <laughs> Pete, well, uh, I, there are two things that I feel like people completely and consistently underrate in Magic. One of them is cards that uh, allow you to cheat mana cost, like Delve or Phyrexian mana, or the you know things in Urza's block that untap your lands. Right. right. Um, and the other is versatility. Versatility is the thing that's made blue good for years and years and years right, and years. Right. So when you have a card that says two mana, do one of four things. I mean, it's good, it's, and this says two yeah. of four things. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, all the commands, I think are are definitely interesting to look at. I think that's one of the reasons Silmgar's command is being, which is the blue black one. Um, is being underrated for standard play. I think it does a lot of important things. It, anything that can kill two things on the board is something you need to be looking at. Yep. Um, really good, yeah. I also like, I mean, this is a, a side note, and uh, I'm pretty confirmed that this is on purpose. I think all of the dragon names are on purpose difficult to say <laughs> because they didn't want them replacing the guilds. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, living in California, I want to pronounce it Ohutai as yeah. opposed to Ojutai. <laughs> Ojutai, yeah. Silumgar, yeah. Colligan, Atarka. Yeah. <laughs> I'm exhausted talking about their names. Um, but yeah, I think, and then, you know, Ojutai's command is the blue-white one. It's interesting to me that they took the two blue ones and split uh, Cryptic Command in half. They, there was no way they were going to put even two parts of Cryptic Command right. on one card. <laughs> so they took the... Counter target creature spell and draw a card and then counter target instant or sorcery and bounce a permanent and then split it. <laughs> yeah, and I think they'll both be playable. I mean, oh, yeah. none of them are cryptic, but they'll right. all be, they'll, we'll see play. And that's kind I of... I like them all. I like them all. I'm actually a big fan of the black-red one. I th oh, that one's great. Yeah. I think it's... I mean, three mana. It's an instant, They're all instant speed, right? Yeah. Yes. So far. Yeah, instant, mana, instant speed discard. Yep. Except for the green-white one. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've seen that one already. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I think the ones that are important to look at are the, the two and three costs, or the ones under four, because if you're at yeah. four, especially if you're in blue, you should possibly be considered playing cryptic. <laughs> Unless you're like, you're splashing blue and the effect is really important for what you're trying to do. But like black, white, black, red, like for three, that's just exactly but in modern, tally. aren't you just going to run blightning? And people aren't even running blightning. True, but this kills creatures. Blightning doesn't target a creature. It does discard two cards. I do think this is better than because of the versatility. Well, because of what you said, yeah, it's, it's possible. Speed. Instant speed. I mean, it like you don't have to tap out. You can you can play at end of turn. It's really good. <laughs> I think it's good in standard. I'm holding my judgment on modern. I think the chart. Yeah, I mean, I, all cards have to be held their judgment on modern. Yeah. That's the problem with modern. Not the problem with modern, but the benefit of modern is that, like standard. You can kind of wait on a lot of cards. I don't think you should ever really be like, I am investing in this for modern if you're buying them during pre-release. No. <laughs> because... Well, I don't buy cards almost ever during pre-release. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or even, I mean, I guess I meant pre-ordering on release uh, for before the release. The... I, mean, I, will, I will really quickly agree with you, though, Chaz. Like, you're, what, you, what you said regarding versatility, uh, I think is something really important to pay attention to. You know, we, we play a 100-card one-on-one format sometimes. Uh, it's sort of our own thing. And the best deck I have in that format is a teamer deck that is just all of the best teamer cards at instant speed that do two things. And it's my best deck in that format for exactly that reason, because they're undercosted instant speed things that do more than one thing. Yep, and that's, that's it's just incredible. <laughs> be. How much value you can get out of that, even if the effects maybe are a little bit more marginal, it's just like 
I mean, like, Electrolyze. It can get rid of multiple creatures and draw a card, and that card was deemed unplayable for the longest time in Modern, until people finally caught on that it's just really good to be able to play this at instant speed, draw a card, and kill something. That's really good. Yep. I mean, I do think almost of the original five commands, I think every single one other than the red one has seen some play in Modern. Yeah. Um, and all of them, other than, I guess, the black one, kind of, costed more than four mana or four or more mana they're also all good casual cards they've all right, they've true. all gone up in price for casual yeah, yeah. i mean red even red has like the i think wheel fortune attached yeah. to it which definitely helps it to a certain extent but like the the fact that two of these are cheaper than that in the format where colors don't matter <laughs> it definitely leads me to believe that at least the under four mana ones have a chance of seeing well they're all noticeably play. underpowered I, right. I i do think that you can't just look at them and say, Cryptic Command, buy a million. But, right. you know, I, it, I, I think in some people's estimations, they've fallen off too far because they're not Cryptic Command. Right. And that's what you have to be careful. You have to still look at this and say, four modes, pick two. This right. is going to be good most of the time. Not every card needs to be Cryptic Command no. to be modern playable. Yeah. Um, let me see, is there any other card? Oh, you had a card. Um uh, you had a card that you mentioned before we started recording, uh, Collected Company. Yeah, I I looked at that and I said, well, this is kind of what people like to do in Modern, right? I mean, it, it it's instant speed. Uh, it lets you put two things into play. Um, I mean, this is sort of the Obzon, Birthing Pod kind of small utility creatures that you can start eking advantage out of play. I, I don't know if it's going to be good in Modern, but it's certainly one I'm keeping an eye on. It definitely that's pretty, that's pretty good. Like there, there's like a lot of three and less creatures in modern that you want to play at instant speed anyway that are very, very, very good. I mean, imagine this in a deck that can get like you know Vendillion Click and Snapcaster Mage into play. Like, well, not even that. I mean, like just siding this into the Birthing Pod slot and old Birthing Pod lists has a lot of value when you're you know you cycle into just like Kitchen Finks and Kitchen Finks. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great, <laughs> good job trying to kill me now. Um, I, I definitely think. The fact that it's at instant speed is like I actually didn't notice that until you mentioned it when we were looking instant at the thing. Instant speed is big. Yeah, it's big in modern. It, it, and part of that is because the a lot of the major combo decks interact in a way that you kind of have to do something on their turn if you're tapping out for four mana, and that's what this can do for you. Yep. You can do nothing on your turn, leave mana up so they can't attack you, or they can't combo off because you have a brev decay mana up, and then play this at the end of their turn, and then they're kind of up a creek. That I can't say the full thing. And, and you're getting, like, smiters and kitchen things into play. Yeah, whatnot. exactly. It's, like, really good. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing I wanted to point out, I mean, and mind you, people of the world, you've seen a lot more cards than us at this point, because <laughs> this is four days from now, and we're only on Monday. Uh, but uh, the um, Dragon's Lord Servant, the Dragon Spell... No, I don't want to talk about that. Never mind. I guess the Enchantment is the only other one, but I don't think that's going to be played. All right. So that's kind of the main cards that i've noticed out of the gate and have seen, heard talk about for modern i don't think any of the dragons are no exceptionally playable i think what about if the white white what about the white white soldier spirit legendary two two afenenza anafenza the spirit? new anafenza yeah what do you guys think about that card? i don't know how much the bolstering is really the value there it's it, it the problem i think actually is more that it's white white than anything else i think maybe That's in like fair. a dirty white like aggro deck it could see play maybe just because it can get things bigger but the fact that it doesn't play well with zoo kind of hurts its mm. i just think there's better options in modern yeah um yeah, that's fair. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of our, what, do you have anything else you want to talk about in regards to Dragons of Tarkir? I, I think it's going to be one of those sets, um, where, uh, it's going to feel kind of underpowered in terms of the amount of standard playables, um, but it will have, it, 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 it'll have a lot of cards that will hold their value a long time, because it's a very good casual set. Right. A, I think every kind of player gets something here, from the spikiest of spikes to the timmiest of timmies. Right. So I, I think it'll go over better than um, the last couple of third sets have, but I, I don't expect it to be, you know, a chock full of staples for, for the right, player right. or anything. Uh, and, and there's definitely going to, you know, there's probably going to be a few uncommons and commons. We're going to actually do our full set review next week for all you people out there on the internet, and <laughs> then we'll go a little bit more deeper into, like, probably each mine and Ben's top ten cards we think are probably going to see play in modern or oh, could see play, uh, and they're all Spellskite. <laughs> Because they're reprinting it. That's our spoiler card. Spellskite being reprinted. We're lying to you. Internet. <laughs> um, Spellskite's not in this set. That'd be that crazy. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Last minute decision. We added Phyrexia Mana to the set. <laughs> Mental misstep. is back in standard for no reason. Pre yeah. Nope. Okay. That card was fine. <laughs> yeah, Birthing Pods being reprinted. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know we were going to ban it, so we reprinted it. <laughs> Is there a speculation that Spellskite is in MM2, by the way? I, I think it'll be there almost I'd be, for sure. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be very shocked surprised. if it isn't there. Yeah. Uh, like, I think Thrun's probably... Uh, the legendary... Mythic. The they're mythic ones are the hard ones. They're 15 right. mythics in that set, and Tarmogoyf is already in The green game. slot, right. So that's... I mean, when I was did my article on, on Modern Master Speculation, I realized you know a good third of the modern staples are mythics. Right. And there's only room for a few. It, my... the Actually, big question I have, and I, we talked about... We did it earlier in the podcast's life cycle. We did a Modern Masters 2 preview, and it was more of a review of Modern Masters 1. And uh, is there going to be a mythic cycle similar to the dragons? And I said it's very possible that the titans come back here. It's, it is very possible. Um, and and be, maybe they want to have that cycle. If they don't have that cycle, that opens up a huge world of what could be reprinted. That's the real question. And um, we don't know yet. Right. Uh, one of my theories is that um, it'll be a loose cycle of colorless mythics. And we'll get the three Eldrazi Titans, we'll get Mox Opal, and we'll get Karn. As sort of right, like this right, 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 right. But it could also be that there's those, and then there's Titans in addition to it. Right, and there's like there's five the colors. five colored five, ones, yeah. and then that's it. Um, do you think that we're going to get all three of the Eldrazi Titans instead of just Emrakul? I do. Okay, yeah. just, beca just because it's kind of a setup for the fall for the at fall this point. I think, I think let's Wizards remind the world. read us loud and clear and how much we love Eldrazi. Right. And <laughs> There were going to be the next few months are going to be a love fest to the Eldrazi. Right, we're gonna get. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think well, the fact that Origins is Nissa, which means we're gonna mm -hmm. spend some time in that on Zendikar just as a base level. We have to because they yep. promised it at this point. We're going to have at least one Eldrazi for sure, and most likely multiple ones and multiple format staples from that set. I mean, one of the nice things about where Modern Masters Two is coming out is the biggest push is printing stuff from Zendikar and Scars of Mirrodin, and they're returning to Zendikar. So, yeah, let's remind you what Bloodgast is. <laughs> yep. um, I mean, one of the things I'm excited about is Modern Masters Limited. I think there'll be a very Rise of the Eldrazi vibe. Oh, yeah. I think we'll definitely. be getting Ulamog at Common. I think we'll be getting, you know, the spawn tokens. Right, right. I, I do. I, I said this earlier. I think Red Green is going to be a spawn based strategy. Yeah. I am actually a little less convinced of that because we're returning to Zendikar in the fall. It's possible, yeah, that uh, they don't want to blow that. Right. I yeah. think they'd have to come up with some way to play the Eldrazi you opened out of the Modern Masters <laughs> packs, other than maybe just, like, be happy you opened an, an Embercle. Right. But <laughs> if they don't have some type of strategy to really get those out there, which might be Tron. They might try and side Tron in there somehow. I don't know how you 
do that unlimited without making every land a Tron land, which they've done in other master sets on Moto. Well, they could. I mean, they just wouldn't be easy, right? Right, right. Yeah, you have to work <laughs> for it. Um, I do think something that might be interesting in this is that they're going to build it. And this is ending up episodes being a little bit more about Mario Masters than expected, but that's fine. It's coming up. <laughs> um, is it's going to be built more for sealed than the first one originally was intended to. Cause I know that the original Mar masters was built to be a draft environment and they didn't think about sealed at all. And then the only major tournament ever played was, was sealed. sealed. Um, they so, are very much hyping up the triple GP weekend right. this time around. They, well, they, they know what they have on their hands. They know yeah. it's now their biggest marketing push probably of the year until like other than set releases. So it's definitely something they're going to put a lot and of focus on. And by the way, on. if you see me in Vegas, say hi. I'll be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, same for all of us, actually. We'll We're going to be, sure. yeah. The whole us and the uh, command cast is command zone. The cast from the command zone also <laughs> is going to be there. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of all we have for today. Do you have anything else you guys want to say? No, I think that pretty much clears it up for me. I, I, uh, I was super, super overwhelmed with excitement to talk about the subject. So this is, this is cool to get to do. Uh, is there anything, any one piece of advice, Chaz, that you want to give to the people maybe just starting out in the modern finance world before they kind of put both feet into the floor? Yeah, um, look long term and remember that it's much easier to buy a card than it is to sell one. It's always going to be better to be conservative with your money and make sure that you're, um, you're, you're investing in things that are going to be around for the long haul or index you want to play. Can I ask one quick question? I just had thought of one last thing that I wanted to bring up. Uh, there's this sense that when you go back to buy old product, uh, you go back four, five, six years to buy sealed product on eBay or wherever, the prices of old boxes, not old necessarily, but even just going back to like Lorwyn and sets around that era, Eventides, it's, they're so much higher than you'd expect them to be, not because the cards involved are really that expensive. A lot of those cards have been reprinted. It's just the sealed product and the ability to play the limited environments have pushed the prices so high. Do you think that buying sealed product and sitting on it for five or six years is one of the safest investments you can make? In in beloved draft formats that have eternally playable cards, absolutely. Uh, Innistrad was one that everyone knew was right. going to be worth something. Rise of the Eldrazi was one. I have several boxes of that socked away. I think Cons of Tarkir is going to be a great one. Right. It's got fetch lands, and everyone loved to draft that set. Uh, and I, those I mean, are the things you need. Like right now... Maybe the best investment in Magic is just picking up Cons of Tarkir boxes and for sure. putting them under your bed and forgetting about them for five years, and then you'll make a nice amount of money. There's the no downside to right. it. And, and to be totally honest, those are easier to sell on a secondary market than any card yep. because there's much less of the, A, you can just post them on eBay and people will pay full price for them, and you're not selling like individual cards on a piecemeal basis. You're selling, here's a box. <laughs> it fits into another box. They ship it to you. Done deal. I made a nice chunk of change. And... You get to play Concert Tiki Draft in four years. It's true. Which... I still have several draft sets of original RGD, <laughs> which I picked up wow. a few years ago. I think that when my bachelor party comes around in a month, we'll be playing some of that. Nice. Jealous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just did with the uh, Command Zone, they do a grab bag, and we did two packs of Conspiracy and two packs of a bunch of random packs. I've actually I tweeted the picture out, but we had all of Innistrad Block. We had all of... Uh, Scars of Mirrodin block, all of, not all of Rabbit block. We had two of the, we had Dissension and Guild Pact. There we go. I remembered it. I did it. Everyone be happy. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, as always, I want to remind all you guys to check out the Command Zone, our sister podcast. It's also on rockyjump.com. 
Um, we have a question of the week. Uh, what card do you think is a sleeper pick right now from either the new set or from anywhere on the in the history of Magic? Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at Kess Wiley. Ben? I am Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And we are at the MM Cast. Uh, Chaz? You can follow me at Chaz Andres. And if you like my writing, you know it on Star City. I also have a website, mybrainisajerk.com, where I post personal musings and stories. And we'll definitely link to that website and his article archive. Archive? <laughs> um, uh, on Star City Games, the ones that are at least accessible right now. And... Even if you don't have premium, you can get anything older than a month. Right, it's exactly. All there, and you can free. kind of search for it conveniently. It's yep. really, it's not the most difficult thing on the planet, especially when we link it for you on RocketJump.com. Um, last but not least, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the cast, but please rate us on iTunes. Uh, you know, the more people that you rate, the more people that rate us, the more people will find and listen to us, and it'll snowball into greatness. Um, yeah, tweet at us about the uh, the spoilers as well. What's the official uh, Dragon's Dark Tears Twitter hashtag? What is it like? D it's, I think MTG D GT. Yeah, know. I think it's I think it's hashtag MTG DGT. And if it's yeah. not, it is now. We're taking it. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Thanks Chaz for coming. You're welcome. And we'll see thanks you guys next week with, during our uh, set release. Talking. That was great. All right, bye. <laughs> Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>